This lecture, Bezrat Hashem, will be Lerfuat Chaya Lilian Bat Deniz, Lolita Bat Gisteman, also Lerfuata, Leiluy Nishmat Avra Masut Ben Chaya Aisha, Avra Mitzchak Ben Yuda, Ve'elka Bat Leiba, Deganit Rivka Bat Dalia, David Ben Miriam, Siman Tov, Moshe Ben Tamar, and also Batzlacha Lerfuat Mishpachat Shimono. They sponsor the lecture. Oh, good to be back. I've been in Eretz Israel, as you know, as you know, for there's some kind of a problem, I think. I know I've been in Eretz Israel for three weeks, Baruch Hashem, and. Uh, I gave a lot of lectures. I had two seminar, two weekend seminars. I don't know if you follow the videos. How many people, Baruch Hashem, became Shomrei Shabbat? It's very interesting. As a matter of fact, I heard today a story. One guy sent me a, a message on WhatsApp that his wife was not Shomer Shabbat. He is, but his wife wasn't. And she met the daughter of... Uh, of one, you know, today the Israeli army released two hostages. One of them, his name is Har, Hey Resh. So the daughter of this Har met the wife of this guy. And he asked her, maybe you should become Shomer Shabbat and start praying for this hostage that he should come out. So she kept four or five Shabbatot and he came out today. He was released. The 140 hostages, him and another one were released. It's very interesting. I'm not surprised at all. It's very, very possible that this woman released that prisoner, that hostage. It's, uh, it cannot be coincidence, obviously. From all the hostages, the army found him. If people would know how, how important it is in the eyes of Hashem to be Shomer Shabbat, that, you know, and how terrible it is to be a Chalel Shabbat, they're never there. They're never there to be Mechalelei Shabbat. The only reason they do it now is because of lack of knowledge. They don't understand the severity of, of being Mechalel Shabbat. Anyway, so, you know, I've, usually when I go to Israel, I go to the Knesset, I meet some ministers, I get some information, you know, that you don't really read on the news. Well, basically, I was very happy to find out that two ministers becoming religious for my lectures. One of them, she told me, you should know that every one of my speeches that became so viral, it was 100% from your lectures and your inspiration. I used to be a lefty. I'm married to a very strict lefty husband. I mean, once I started to hear your letter, I became 180 degrees, complete opposite. You cannot believe. This lefty used to be religious when he was a kid. <coughs> Left the religion and became a liberal. She gave a lot of good speeches. I was shocked. I said to myself, well, a non-religious woman gives such speeches about Shema Israel, about the Haredim, she's defending the from people. And I have no idea that it's all for my lectures. Can you believe it? Come. So, Baruch Hashem, 
it goes even to the people that runs the show. They become more closer to Hashem. But it's not enough. It's not enough. It should have been everyone. We're working on it. We're trying. On last Shabbat, we read Parashat Yitro. Matan Torah. But it wasn't really Matan Torah. Even though we call Chak Shavuot Matan Torah, we didn't really get the Torah there. We only heard the voice of Hashem. The first two commandments we heard. Anochi Hashem Elokechem, Asher Ratzeti Yadchem Eretz Mitzrayim, I'm the God that took you out of Egypt. And the second commandment, Lo Yelachem Elokim Acherim Al Panai, you should not have any other God but me. Those are the two. Everybody heard directly from Hashem's voice. After that, they started to scream, to cry, to panic. You can't take it, it's too much, it's scary. And uh, the Gemara said that their souls came out. The Mamash died clinical death. The angel had to go and collect the souls and push them back into the body. It's very interesting. Very, very interesting. So, I ask why Hashem made such a show? Why does it have to be so scary? You can make Matan Torah with some classical music in the background, beautiful smells of, uh, of you know, jasmine smell, I don't know, some lemon smell, something pleasant that people love. And nothing has to shake. Now why do you need a voice of shofar, like a siren is keep becoming stronger and stronger by the minute? Everything is shaking, fire all over the mountain. Why? What for? Just come nicely, softly. Hi, my boys, boys and girls. I am the God that took you out of Egypt. I love you very much. I'm happy that you saw what I can, what I'm capable of. Look what I've done for you. And please, I'm asking you, don't have any other God but me. Well, we need to intimidate the people. Millions of people die from fear. The answer is because that's the only language people understand. They don't understand other languages. When it's fear, it's very productive. You don't mess with anyone. You don't mess with anyone. I give you an example. If they're replacing the manager in your office, there was a one, there was a manager, nice, soft, soft character. Everyone takes advantage on him or her. I mean, he cannot dominate. The workers know, even if he ever threat, he never actually punish, he never raise his voice. He close his eyes for everything wrong we do. But he's retiring now. A new manager is about to arrive tomorrow morning. When the new manager comes, if in the first day he shows that he's a soft character, he speaks nicely, softly, hi, nice to meet you. I'm the new manager here. I hope we can work together. Right the way people say, oh, the party can continue. But if he comes, gentlemen, Listen carefully. Whatever happened until now will never happen again. It's a whole different thing now. No one will mess with me. You make sure everybody does exactly what I say. 
And if anyone will dare to move left or right from what I say, will make him fly out of the window. What happened? Nobody moves. Yes, sir, can I make you coffee? What? I'm sorry. Sorry for interrupting. Everybody speaks differently. This is the language people understand. I know, nobody likes to hear intimidating threats. Nobody likes it. But that's what works. That's the only thing works. Some people are, Baruch Hashem, good enough, clever enough, smart enough that they don't need to be threatened or to be intimidated or to have a punishment to convince them to move. But most people are not like that. Most people are not like that. If the boss say to someone who always sleep late and he's supposed to be in the office at 9, he arrived 9.45, 9.30, 9.25, every day late. The boss say to him, tomorrow morning I need you here on time. If you be a minute late, you'll get fired. One time he will be in the office, 8.50. What got him to come on time? He realized he's going to get fired. Without that threat, he will wake up again late. No problem, nothing is threatening me. That's why Hashem gave us the Torah with such, you know, fear. Everyone died. You know what it means to die out of fear? Did you ever die out of fear? I mean, we had a lot of scary moments in our life. That we miss few beats in the heart. We out of breath. We sweat. We feel the heat wave. We're about to faint. But to die out of fear? How many people in the world died out of fear? Not that many. I can imagine how, how terrible was the fear that they had. So after the second commandment, they couldn't take it anymore. They begged Moshe, please, you speak to God. In the end, Moshe finished the other eight commandments. Hashem told it to him. They couldn't hear it. And Moshe continued the other eight. So that was Matan Torah. That was Parashat Yitro. Now we have Parashat Mishpatim. We read on Shabbat. Do you know how many books were written on Parashat Mishpatim? Thousands of books. Yeah, first of all, Gemarot, Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Batra, Sechet Sanhedrin, Sechet Makot, so many Masachtot. Maybe half of the Shas, at least, is just from this parasha, Parashat Mishpatim. Hundreds of laws. So many important things in life. Choshen Mishpat, laws, finance laws, inheritance laws, damages, questions on life and death, slavery, laws of slaves. It's not so common today. The slaves of today, it's modern slavery. It's not like it used to be. Back then, a person could choose to be a slave. He doesn't have a parnasah. Can I make a living? He said, listen, I'm a failure. It doesn't work out for me. Please, let me be a slave. That rules. He sells himself to be a slave. Sometimes he's sold to be a slave forcefully because he stole and he doesn't have enough to pay back. And it's not like today. Can you, can you pay, please? I'm begging you. We need the money. Not right now. Stop bothering me. When I have the money, I'll call you. When will it be? In seven years. 
There's not that much you can do today. It's very hard to collect, especially here in America. In Israel, it's easy to collect. You give someone a check, the check returns. He gets a judgment quickly from the court, and there is something called Otsa'a la Poal. They repossess everything you own. Boom, your bank account is frozen. Boom, your car is frozen. Everything is frozen, frozen, frozen. Cannot pull it down. Right away, in days. Nothing you can do. Get right away messages. This one is frozen, this one is that, this one. Nothing you can do. If it's a big amount, the next day you cannot leave Israel. You cannot leave. You have an order. You come to the airport, you bought a ticket, you went from security. There's one more step. You need to put the password on the scanner for the plastic door to open. Red. Check security. Oh, sir. The Israeli IRS is looking for you. You cannot leave. What? I passed all security. I'm one step already on the plane. I have urgent things to do. I have to be in New York tomorrow. Sorry. You cannot leave the country. Your ex-wife, you didn't pay her uh, child support. Cannot, go, cannot come out of Israel. You don't pay your mortgage. Otsala Poal. They take your house and sell it in the auction. If the house worth two million shekel, after the lawyers and expenses, they leave you nothing. So I only owe 10%. 1.8 was paid. I only had 200,000 shekel mortgage, which I didn't have. I'm sorry, I'm unemployed. The war, the war messed me up. My business died, no, but no customers come, no tourists come, nobody to talk to. You owe 200,000, you didn't make the payment, three, four payments you didn't make. Your house goes to, the, to an auction. So now they're gonna sell the house for two million and you're supposed to have 1.8 million because it's yours. You, you actually bought the house. In the end, maybe you will be left with 100,000 shekel. Everything they take, this lawyer, that penalty, the government take a piece. Like sharks rip you to pieces. No mercy over there. Nothing, nothing there is according to Torah. Nothing. No mercy whatsoever. So, you know, it, it is what it is. So all these laws of the, of the finance and all of that comes from Parashat Mishpatim. Person cannot pay his debt, cannot pay, no problem. You'll be a slave. They sell you the money that we got for sell, selling you. We give it to the person who owes the money. Or you'll be a slave, and he will have to give you a nice bed and good food. It's very, very uh, intimidating. Imagine you owe money to someone. You play games with him. You didn't pay for a while. In the end, you went to bed. He, he doesn't pay me the debt. It's already here, past due. The bad deal arrest him, sell him right away the market. They put him on a special stone, like a donkey. You know how you sell donkeys and chickens and sheep? They put the person on the thing. 20, 21, 25, 22, pop, sold. The value of a slave is 30 shekel, 30. Once he sold, 
he loses his status as a man. He becomes a woman. Don't worry, don't get nervous. It's like, not like today that half of the people in the world want to change their identity. Rabbi, my son wants to be a woman. My daughter wants to be a man. They messed up the head of the kids. They messed them up. I don't know what they want anymore. They don't learn Torah. They're not going to good yeshiva. They don't have good ashkafa. They don't have good family. They are exposed to the garbage in the online, over there in, in the phone or whatever they have. And a few years later, they messed up in the head. They messed up. There's nobody to talk to. But to talk about the drugs and other issues. So what does it mean the slave loses man identity? Meaning that now, as long as he's a slave, you look at him like he's a woman. He doesn't have to come to yeshiva to learn Torah like all other men. Women are dismissed from Talmud Torah. He, mamash, operates as a woman. He's patur mi mitzvot asesh azman grama. Patur mi mitzvot asesh azman grama. Meaning, he doesn't put filin. Filin he can put only in the day, not at night. It's limited to specific time. Women don't put filin. Tov? You don't have to. Women, Technically, if we didn't have a special verse for them, they wouldn't have to be able to keep Shabbat. Because Shabbat is also limited to specific time. But because Hashem wanted all Jews to keep Shabbat, male and female, that's why he wrote Shamor Vezachor in the two commandments. And one of them it's written, Zachor, remember Shabbat, meaning do act of remembering. And in another place it's written, Shamor at Yom HaShabbat. Shamor means restrictions. Do not dare to violate any restriction of Shabbat. All restrictions apply to women as well. They only dismiss from mitzvot asesh azman grama. Mitzvot, the, the time actually determined that you have to do the mitzvah. The time. Specific time comes, now it's the time for this mitzvah. Like for instance, Kriyat Shema. From sunrise, three hours. Three hours. After that, you miss the time. At night, from the appearance of the stars, until, until midnight, Jewish midnight. It's about 12, 10 now, something like that. Jewish midnight or midday change every day. Summer, winter. In the summer, it can go up to 1, 1 a.m. That's Jewish midnight. In the winter, it can go as low as 11.20, already Jewish midnight. What does it mean, Jewish midnight? In the summer, the day is long and the nights are short. In the winter, it's the opposite. So what do you do? If you want to know the Jewish midday, so what do you do? You look, you look from, from dawn to the appearance of the stars. And you divide the day right in the middle. So for instance, if it's from 6 a.m. until 8 p.m., right, in the summer, long day, you have 14 hours of light. Right in the middle, it's seven hours. So if 6 a.m. is dawn, right, when you, when you begin to see light, if you stand by the ocean, you begin to see red. So if it's from six, seven hours, it will be 1 p.m. If 1 p.m. it's midday, 1 a.m. will be midnight. 
Now, you have to remember, if you take an hour from the day and an hour from the night, there will always have to be 120 minutes. So for instance, if now we have 14 hours of light, 14 hours divided by 12, how much it gives us? One hour and then you have another 120. So it gives us 70 minutes per minute, per hour, 70 minutes. Every Jewish hour in a day in the summer, if the dawn was six and the, and the appearance of the stars was eight, so every hour is 70 minutes. So if from six you count three times 70, it's 210 minutes, it's three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. So 9.30 is the end of Kriyachma. After 9.30, that's it. It's gone. But if the hour of the day will be 70 minutes, how much the hour of the night would be? 50 minutes. You understand? Because 12 hours of the day plus 12 hours of the night will have to be exactly 24 hours of our watch. 24 times 60. You understand, right? If you make the hours of the day longer, the hours of the night become shorter accordingly. So if an hour of the day is 65 minutes, how much would be an hour of the night? 55 minutes. The hour of the day is 70, the hour of the night will be 50. If the hours of the day is 60, the hour of the night will also be 60. In the winter it's the other way around. The other way, the day is very short. So the hour of the day is 50 minutes, the hours of the night will be 70 minutes. Very simple. Once you know the formula, that's how it goes. It's not like they go in. When they go in, it's always 60 minutes times 24 hours. They have the mid midnight, which is always 12. Midday is always 12. A.M. P.M. That's it. Easy life they make to themselves. Why? Because the goyim don't have mitzvot like the Torah. For instance, they don't have mitzvah of reading Kriyat Shema when it's become light. They don't care. Light. Brit Milah can be only in the daylight. So we need to know that one of these mitzvot needs to be on a, on a day only or in a night only, like Kriyat Shema of Arvit. Has to be when you see stars. Shabbat ends when you see stars. How, do you, how would you know? So it's depend on where you live in the world and according to the movement of the earth and the sun and the moon, this is how the calendar is. Very, very easy. Today, Baruch Hashem, it's all, you have it all in your phone. You have it in a calendar. Back in time, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. People had to go, they didn't have a watch or calendar with time that they know tomorrow what time it's going to be. They, they have to be manual. See, in the morning, you don't know where to put, where can I put my talit? So they look at the talit, one string is light blue, right? Tchelet. The rest are white. How do they know when to put the talit? When they begin to see the difference between the white and the light blue, that's when you can put it. Once it's dark, you can't see the difference in the dark. It's, you can't see, it's all look white. Once the sun is rising a little bit, there is a moment that you can see the difference. Oh, now we can see the difference. Now we can make bracha and put the talit on. Talit is only in the day, not at night. 
יצרי פעוריתם אותו. And in the old days there was no electric. Today you don't need all that, you don't have to check. First of all, today we don't have the tchelet. The tchelet is to come from the snail. It's called dag chilazon. It doesn't look like a fish, it's snail. You know the snails, how they go inside. And the snail, they used to make a hole in them, squeeze them, and the, the blood of the snail is blue. Unbelievable blue. This trellet, they used to squeeze a little bit and throw him back into the water. And he should get some new blood. They don't kill him. If you squeeze too much, he'll die. So you take a little bit. That's, it's, it's very expensive because first of all, you have to catch thousands of snails. To go, especially in, around Greece, around Italy, that's where they used to catch them. Once you have them on a boat, You have thousands of them in a barrel. You have to take one at a time. Squeeze, put it in a different barrel. Squeeze, put it in a different, a little bit. You don't want to get confused. If you squeeze too much, you'll die. So what do you do? You take a, little, a few drops, throw in. Few drops, throw in. Few drops, like this, the whole job. And with this paint, they used to use it for the Mishkan, for Bet HaMikdash. Unbelievable. It's like blue-green. Very amazing color. Today, we don't have it. It's all white, that's it. We cannot find it. It's hard to know which one is to know. We lost that. Even though you see some people having a talit blue, there's no guarantee that it's the right blue. No guarantee. So what should we do? Should we also get that blue? I sell it in Israel, ready. Already with blue. Should we get it or not? Some people got it. Should I also get it or not? The answer is no. Why? You should teach yourself a very important rule in life. Everything that is new, that nobody did until now, and someone start to do now, oh, all of a sudden they sell blue. Ah, for hundreds of years, nobody sold it. Now, oh, they starting to sell it. First thing we check, do you have any big rabbi in the world that start to put blue? Rav Chaim Kanievsky, did it? No. Rav Yosef? No. Rav Benziona Roshaul, no. Rav Ozner, no. Rav Eliashiv, no. Chazonish, no. Nobody did it. Who does it? People that are overexcited. If you see something that no Gdole Torah do, don't do it. When you see at least one big authority rabbis does it, oh, you have who to come to. You come to Shammai and they tell you why all of a sudden he decided to get a talit with a blue. I saw the biggest rabbi in the world did it. That's it. Pusek halachot. Once he did it, why shouldn't I do it? So you have who to count on. Don't make up your own stuff. Ah, wow, it's so nice. I get a talit blue. Who told you it's good? And if it's not the right blue? So that's called chelet. Today you don't need it. Today you have already in advance. You know what time is talit and filin. You go to this app, Zmanim, it determines your location. Anywhere you are in the world, it tells you Sof Zman Kriyat Shema, Sof Zman Tfila, Midday, Midnight, everything you need to know. Talit and filin. Wonderful. How easy Hashem made our life. With this technology, my martial life became a lot easier today. How you can learn Torah by click of a button. 
Uh, people watching now live all over the world. Think about it. Sit now and watch a two hours lecture, mamash, on a nice big screen. Unbelievable. It's not the same of coming physically to the lecture. I explained that many times in the past. When you come physically to the lecture, you get the reward for every person that would listen to that lecture from now until the end of days. Even when you already died. If after you died, someone would click on YouTube or in the app and would listen to tonight's lecture because you were here, you get a reward for that two hours. It goes into your account and 120,000 mitzvot for every individual who clicks. So first of all, it should be your number one interest to share every lecture you participate to as many people as possible. Especially lectures that you participated. You should share all good lectures, even if you did not participate. It's still an obligation, but the ones that you were there, you should have a 10 times more interest to share. Why? Because now the reward comes to your account. If you share a lecture, you didn't go. Who gets the credit? The people that were there that night. Why? Thanks to them, there was a lecture. If no one would show up, the speaker would come, see the place is empty, turn around and go home. What made him speak? The few people that came, 10, 20, 50, 100, doesn't matter. If no one would come, he would come, see nobody came, and go home. Two, three times like that, the lecture would be canceled for good. So who keeps it going? The people that come. That's why there is a rule that Hashem told us, Gadola Someone that make other people do a good deed, he gets a bigger reward than them. You convince your rich uncle to give money to a good yeshiva, he gave $10,000 check, he gets his full reward for the Torah that was studied from his money, and you got more than him. He put all the money, and you, the broker, the matchmaker between him and the yeshiva, you get a bigger reward than your uncle. The only place in the world that someone that is a broker make more than the seller is in Judaism. There's no such thing anywhere else. You want to sell a, a $5 million home in Jamaica mistake. So the broker will get 2%. That's it. After negotiation, ah, 4%, crazy. Mom, I'll give you $200,000. Come on, what did you do? Put an ad? Nah, no, I'm not giving 100,000. You take it or leave it or I get a different broker. Okay, okay, calm down. I'll take 2%. How much you made? 2%. You found someone. He made $100,000. Also not bad. Imagine now the broker makes 5.5 million. The seller make five million on his house, and the broker gets some kind of organization. Oh, you the broker on that deal? We're wiring you five and a half million for finding a customer. Make sense or no? Where are you gonna get the money from? Hashem has plenty of money, don't worry. Why Hashem did it so appealing? It's very attractive, why? for the exact purpose of what he wants everyone to inspire others to do mitzvot. That's, that's exactly it. If there was not going to be a reward, nobody cared. 
And the good part is that it's also punishment. Most people don't think about it. If you watch a lecture and you enjoy and you feel that it inspires you very much, and you have six, seven friends, cousins that could benefit very much from it, and you don't send it to them, you will be punished for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you see someone is drowning and you could have helped him and you continue to walk, he will be punished for it. You may say, oh, but they told me don't send me. So what? If he will say to you, don't save me, let me drown, you will listen to him? No, you would still try to save him, no? No, no, I'm, I'll manage, leave me alone. You're drowning. No, no, it's okay, you don't have to. Forget it. No, no, I'm not letting you pulling me out. You know what you do? You take a stick, a baseball bat, you give him one on his head, knock him out, save him, sue me later for saving your life. It's not my fault, you're stupid. You don't want to be saved. I'll knock you out and I'll save you. Tomorrow you sue me. Go to the police, tell them I hit you. When the police comes, why did you hit him? Here is the video. He was drowning. He wants to commit suicide. The law says that if someone wants to commit suicide, you will have to save him by force. That's what the police do. They shock him with this taser. Boom. Why are you doing it? He's so aggressive. Why? What's better, that he jump? Of course not. Same thing over here. The only time you are actually dismissed from sharing Torah with others is if they threaten you to beat you up. Don't talk to me another word of Torah, I'll break your head. Oh, we're dealing with a violent monster? That's it, let him die. That's his problem. But as long as he didn't threaten you to beat you up, you have an obligation up to a hundred times to rebuke him. I'm sending you, I don't care. I'm, I'm gonna cut you out, I'm gonna block you, block me. Once you block me, I'm dismissed. Why? Anus Rahmana Patri. You just made my life a lot easier. As long as I'm not blocked, I will be responsible for you staying Mechalel Shabbat. Once you blocked me, it's the responsibility, it's all on you. Plus, who wants friends like that? If you love of Hashem, and someone gets angry when you share a nice lecture with him, he gets angry at you, why would you want a friend like that? Do you know why you want a friend like that? Because you're not a God-fearing person. A God-fearing person is allergic to wicked people. A woman that is very modest suffers very much around not modest women. Someone that is a lover of Torah and only cares about his Torah is allergic to ignorant people. Someone that is very smart suffers around stupid people. That's the way it is. If you don't suffer, that means you're not exactly what you claim to be. It's not, it's not possible. Rav Ovadia Yosef never told his sons that they have cousins. They don't know. One day, someone knocked on the door in Yerushalayim. Yitzhak Yosef was a teenager. 18 maybe. He's the chief rabbi of Israel, seven years old now. So this story was uh, 52 years ago, 53 years ago. You see a pilot, an Air Force pilot is knocking on the door. 
שלום, can I help you? היי, nice to meet you, I'm your cousin. You're my cousin? אני מנועה בקאזן. What brought you here after all these years? Tomorrow I graduate the flying course. I'm becoming a phantom pilot. Phantom used to be an air, a, war, a war airplane. Phantom, that was the name of it in 1970, 1965. Those years. So they asked me to bring all my family relatives for graduation. It's a big thing back then to be a pilot. A war pilot, big thing. It was such a show of such pride oh, to walk with the, with the special wings of the Israeli symbol. So we would like to invite you to our inauguration, graduation, whatever you want to call it. He asked his father, Abba, why you never told us that we have cousins? He said, I didn't want you to know anything about them. Why? Then you would like to meet them, to play with them, to go to their events. And what would happen in the end? They'll turn you to be like them. Baruch Hashem, now you're already mature. You can know you have cousins. He never told them you have cousins. They didn't know they have a cousin that they are not religious. Today, people have challenge if to take my kid to a family party when their cousins are like goyim. It's a very bad influence to my child to see this kind of cousins. So it's a very big challenge because it's a fight between the head and the heart. The heart say, come on, it's family. They came to our party or something like that. Or they may get offended or my mother will be upset or my father will be upset. The heart said, the mind say, how can I jeopardize my kids like that? Big jeopardy. They see the no kippa, no tzitzit, no irat shamayim, short pants, short sleeves, efkerot, eat with no bracha, curse every other world, having devices. Religious innocent kids look like that. What's that? Come, let me show you something. Don't tell anyone. Five minutes with this cousin and you'll destroy him. Five minutes, that's all it takes. You put into your son 20 years of hard efforts, exposing five minutes to a wicked child, and that's the end of it. 20 years of hard efforts and lots of money. Two days, expensive yeshivas, all kinds of things. Went down the drain in five minutes, exposure to some kind of a low life. That will open up his device and show them something over there. That's it. With the help of the Yetzirah, the religious kid, if it's not some kind of a special neshama, would be now very much into finding out what else that device has to offer. Three months later, it's a goy. Five years later, ten years later, it's going to marry a goya. Twenty years later, the, your grandchildren will all be goyim. What caused that at five minutes? Family event. Five minutes. Five minutes exposing your kids to their cousins destroyed your eternity. You come to Hashem, Hashem say you messed up big time. I gave you five, six souls. I put these jewels in your hand, special neshamot. 
You had responsibility to guard them, to keep them safe, to watch their neshama safe, and you neglected your mission, and look what happened. Who's gonna pay for the consequences of your disaster choice that you made? Hashem said to Cain, called the bloods, not blood, bloods, plural. Dmei, not dam. Dam is singular. One person dam. Damim means many. Dmei, called me achichat zorakim elai min adama. The bloods of your brother are screaming to me from the ground. And uh, question is, why bloods? Blood. You killed, you murdered one person. His blood is screaming. You didn't let me leave. No, 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 it's his children and grandchildren and grand-grandchildren until the end of days. It could be a billion people. All of them are affected by one-minute transaction. You hit someone in the head and you kill them. If you kill this neshama, it's a billion times worse than to kill his body. The Gemara says many times, Someone who influences another Jew to become wicked is much worse than to murder him physically. Much worse. Because when you murder someone physically, you can still go to heaven. Anyway, this life is a blink of the eye. So instead of 80 years, he lived 60. Instead of 60, he lived 40. It's not the end of the world. What it is the end of the world is that he lost his share to the world to come. He lost his eternity because of you. That's a disaster. You know what it means to murder someone's eternity? To murder 10, 20 years of his physical life by the way, you should know, when you murder a person physically, it's not always bad for him. <laughs> Depends who he was. If he was an observant Jew or righteous Gentile, by you murdering him age 40, let's say you took 30 years of his life, was supposed to live to 70. You murder him at 70, you caused him to lose 30 years of life of keeping the commandments. So, he, he missed 52 Shabbatot every year, multiplied by 30 years. Right there, you have more than 1,500 Shabbatot that he lost because of you in the next 30 years. How many brachot he would make on food? How many years he's going to eat matzah and pesah? 30 times. You made him lose 30 times of mitzvah matzah. You made him lose mitzvah keulav 30 times every year for 30 years. It adds up to few millions or billions of mitzvot that this person could have kept, and because of you, he wouldn't keep. But he was from kind of a lefty liberal haters of Hashem. Everything he does makes Hashem furious. And you kill him at 40, he will thank you for that. When you come to the next one, say, thank you, God bless you. God bless me for what? For killing me age 40. Chaval, you didn't come 20 years earlier. Do you know how many punishments you saved me from getting? Think how many punishments I get from age 13 until 40. 27 years that I got Hashem angry every second of my life and my behavior. If I would live another 30 years, my punishment would be at least double or more. Thanks to you killing me at age 40, I owe you so much. I just hope you would come 20 years earlier to do it. 
People that were wicked and got killed, there's no one that will take more to the, than the one who killed them. No one. They owe them so much. You know how, how much hell was saved by dying earlier? But if he was supposed to become Baal Tshuva and you killed him and because of you he's not going to do Tshuva, that's a disaster, of course. But if he was supposed to stay a lefty liberal trader, betraying Hashem, betraying the Torah, and betraying the Jewish nation, and everything he does is against the Torah and against Judaism, someone like that, you did him a favor, a big favor. And sometimes you did a favor to his widow and to his children. Because, because of him, they would not be able to become Jewish and to you know, keep the mitzvot. He doesn't let. But then when he went away, his wife got remarried to a good person, more traditional, and he pushed the kids towards learning, and he turned them into religious people. I've seen cases like this. I've seen a wicked man or a wicked woman die, and the spouse got remarried, and the new husband or the new wife saved the entire family. Yeah, it happened many, many times. Sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes you kill the righteous person and the wife married the wicked person instead. And it destroyed everyone. All scenarios are an option. In the end, we have a say. It's written in the Tanakh that Hashem pays the person based on the fruits of their action. Meshalem la'adam ki prima ala love. Prima ala love. The fruits of his actions. Not only according to his actions, according to the fruits of his actions. Let's move on. So, the Gemara asks, how long did it take to receive the Torah? This event that was on the seventh day of Sivan, we celebrated now on Vav Sivan. It should have been Vav Sivan, the sixth. But Moshe added one day. The Gemara say three things Moshe did on his own opinion. One of them, he added one more day. So Matan Torah was one day later. So the question now, how long did it take? Moshe gathered them all around Mount Sinai on the third day. They were already, they were purified. They went to the mikveh. They washed their clothes from all kinds of seeds or intimacy. Three days they couldn't touch their wives. They have to come to this event completely pure. Then they started to sleep. That's why we learned on Shavuot all night, because they fell asleep. Mamash, the moment before they get the Torah, they, they couldn't take it, they fall asleep. Finally, they are now next to the mountain, and the, the show began. The show began. Boom! A, a nuclear bomb. Boom! Anochi Hashem Elokechem, Hashem Otzeti Yedchen Yerz Mitzrayim. Everyone got the shock of their life. From that minute, how long did it take? Matan Torah. The answer is three hours. Three hours. What do you need three hours for? How long does it take to read ten sentences? The first two commandments plus the eight that Moshe say. How long? Ten minutes? Fifteen minutes? Even if you say word by word slowly, not more than ten minutes. See on Shabbat when they read in the Torah. 
אנוכי השם אלוקיכם, it takes less than a minute to read the Ten Commandments. If you Ashkenazi, you She's an animal, you put them together and they give 
birth to more slaves. Factory. Since when you allowed a Jew to go with a Goya? No. That's what the Hafiz Chaim asked. What's going on here? Because I'm a thief, now you allow me to go with a Goya? <coughs> First, it's a red light to see how severe it is to be a thief. The world is full of thieves. Full of thieves. Anyone can raise his hand and claim he never stole in his life? I don't think there is 10 people like this in the whole world that can hold the Torah and swear they never stole at any in their life. There was one Jewish, Jewish thief and he was keep stealing and getting arrested. Stealing, getting arrested. One time the king told him, next time we catch you stealing, I will chop your head off. No more chances. And they called him again. Now everyone is invited to see how the king is chopping the head off the Jewish thief. It's a double party. One is you're getting rid of a thief, which is good. Two, you're getting rid of a Jew, which is extra good for this anti-Semite going. You kill two birds with one stone. It's not just getting rid of a thief, getting rid of a Jewish thief. Wow, what a party. It's a bonus. So, everyone is there. The Jew said to the Goy, to the king, Your Majesty, before you kill me, I have a secret that no one's in the world has. I got it from someone who passed already. He taught me the secret. It's a shame that I'll go to my grave keeping that secret. So I would like to tell it to you for the sake of humanity. The king said, okay, tell me what it is. Say, I have a way to plant a seed of a tree in the ground and make it grow in one day, fully, with branches, with fruits, in one day instead of years. It can take sometimes years. In one day, you will have an orange tree, or a lemon tree, or peach tree. You name it. The king said, come on, enough with your nonsense. I said, why, why are you doubting me? I'm not going to make myself look like a fool. I will perform it to you right now. Anyway, you're killing me. I will show you how to do it. In one hour, you see a tree here. Everyone looks, wow, majesty. It actually sounds very, very interesting. So the Jewish guy said, okay, there's only one condition for this trick to succeed. The hand that pushed the seed into the ground has to be a hand that never stole. Has to be clean from any stealing. Meaning if the person stole even once in his life, this magic will not work. So please, the Minister of Finance, I would like to invite you, here is the seed. Please plant it in the ground and we will all see how it goes. The Minister of Finance say, hey, listen, I'm 65 years old. It has to be sometimes in my life, here and there, you know, sometimes my father sent me shopping. I didn't give all the change. I bought myself a few gums extra with no permission. That's stealing, no? 
I'm sure uh, it's not gonna go. Okay, we perfectly understand you. The Minister of uh, Defense, please, you put it in the ground. Hey, you know, one time I had a partner, we had a big fight. He claimed I too. Later on, I thought maybe I did take 50 bucks extra. And one more, bottom line, he went from every minister. You, 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 and you. Okay, Your Majesty, Baruch Hashem, you're the only honest person in this town. You put it in the ground. <laughs> the king said, I got the point. So you want to kill me for something all of you do? Is it fair? So the king said to him, listen, I'm willing to cancel your verdict if now you swear that you will never steal ever again. Can you keep it? Yes. And they released him. It was a similar case. One time the king advertised that he's looking for waiters to work in his uh, palace, to serve food. The kings, they make parties, they invite ministers, other kings. But nobody wanted to come because they know this king is crazy. If you mess up a little bit, you don't serve on time or you serve something cold or something break or spill, he gives you a look and a minute later he kills you. No mercy. He paid double. Instead of $20 an hour, $40 an hour. But if you mess up, you're dead. That's why nobody wants to come. There was one young Jew, 17 years old. I need, uh, I need to make a living. My parents are poor. Let me go. You came, you walk a day or two. Now there's a big party. A lot of ministers are invited. The king's seat with a special crown. And the Jew have to serve soup. He comes closer to the king. Something happened. He almost tripped. One drop of soup. You know, chicken soup flew from the bowl right into the king's thigh. Shit, right there. The king looked, everybody looked. The king gave him the, that cruel look. Everybody knew this Jew is done. And that hour will execute him. Everyone was shocked. <laughs> the king looks, wow! You stained my time! What did the Jew do? Take the entire chicken soup, smash it in his face. All over his clothes, in front of everyone. The king got up. What? Where are we waiting in our way? The party is over. To the execution place. <clears throat> Grab him, the soldiers. Beating him up, you had so far, you have the nerve, you're throwing the soup in the king's face. Just when they put the loop around his neck and about to pull off the chair, the king got curious, said to that Jewish kid, I never saw in my life such a brave, stupid, arrogant person. I got very curious to see where did you get this nerve from? to throw the entire ball in my face. The Jewish kid told him, listen, your majesty, you know, I know it's hard for you to believe, but I only did it out of respect to you. I love you and respect you, that's why I did it. <laughs> such love, such respect, with love and respect like this, who needs enemies? 
He said to him, listen, I'm a human being, I walk with soup carefully, uh, one drop started to fly, I wasn't intentional, you know it. Once you gave me the deadly look, after all, you already executed dozens of waiters until now, everybody knew in one hour you're going to chop my head off. And people don't like that you do that. They talk behind your back. How are you killing innocent waiters? Another one and another one. What, what? What happened? People make mistake. Well, once I realized you're about to kill me, I didn't want people to speak bad about you. So I spilled it all on you, and now I do deserve to get execution. No one will hate you for that. I saved your reputation. Now there's not one person in the country who doesn't agree with the execution. It would make you look like a fair king. The king got the shock of his life. Take off the loop, come, come, you'll be my adopted son. Brought him into the parlor and became his life. That's what Chazal said, life and death is under the what comes out of your tongue. One word extra, one word less can change the whole thing. Milacha, one word can change everything. So what took three hours? Parashat Mishpatim. Parashat Mishpatim. Let's see some of the things in the time we have left that we can learn from. So, you know, today when a person has a problem in life, he just found out he's very sick, he just lost a lot of money, he just found out his uh, planned wedding is canceled, he just found out he got COVID, all kinds of problems of life. What's the first reaction of a person? If he's sick, immediately runs to the doctor. Emergency, emergency, I need an appointment. If it's money issue, immediately would run to some help, wealthy cousin, uncle, friend, someone who can lend him money or help him out. So whatever the problem is, he's going to look for a professional that can get him out of his problem. But the Torah doesn't say that that's the right way. The Torah says, first, you have to know that what happened to you came directly from Hashem, not from nature. You can go to the doctor, nobody told you not to go to, but first you have to know immediately to examine your behavior. How you behave? You begin to make a list of all the bad things you do. Shabbat, kashrut, modesty, what comes out of your mouth, your eyes, your ears, ashonara, laziness, stinginess, selfishness, anger, pride, ego, jealousy, lots of problems. Yefashfesh v'maasav, check! Make a list of all the negative things about you. 
I know it's very discouraging because sometimes the list can be all the way from here to Muncie, unfortunately. And that's why you don't want to do it, because you don't really want to introduce yourself to yourself. A person is busy all his life to avoid meeting himself. You don't mind to meet this one and that one, this one and that one. You just don't want to meet yourself, the real you. So you're busy your entire life lying to yourself about your spiritual situation. You comfort yourself with buy. Once in a while, you write a check. It makes you feel great about yourself. Wow, I'm such a tzaddik. Once in a while, you control your desire. Wow, I didn't fail. See? I'm a tzaddik. You find. You find reasons to convince yourself that it's not so bad. One of the ways that Satan is fooling you and make you feel great about your laziness and your numbness, you know, there is a, an expression in English, it's called comfortably numb. Most people are comfortably numb. They sleep and it's very convenient. Why? They don't have to deal with fixing so many things. Who has their head for it now? Get rid of my ego, you know what a hard mission it is? Get rid of my anger, get rid of my laziness, waking up early every morning on my own. Summer, winter, learning to run, break my head, not being jealous with anyone, meaning improve my emuna uh, and my faith, my confidence in Hashem. Come on, I take a pill every day or smoke something and it's all fine. It helps me to control my anger. It helps me with many, many things. Shortcut. Do you know how many times every day I get messages from people, even in the last hour before the show, two times? Do you know this Kabbalist? Did you hear about that rabbi? Do you know anyone to suggest to me why people are looking for Kabbalists? What is a Kabbalist? Kabbalist. Mekubal. What is the Kabbalist going to do for you? Either nothing or will make a situation worse. That's it. Or nothing, if you're lucky, nothing. Or will make a situation worse. Why? Because he's going to tell you, give me such and such money, I'm going to write you a special amulet. Put this under your, your pillow when you sleep. Do this, do that, eat this, don't eat that. You know, all kinds of things. And you already go back to, to your numbness. What happened? Nothing great. Problem was taken care of. I have a friend in Monsi. He's checking Chilin and Mezuzot. Tzadik. I love him. Why I love him? He doesn't care about the money. Pain, don't pain. He doesn't want. He doesn't care. Sometimes he opens the tefillin, takes him. It's hard to open sometimes because they put a lot of glue in a cheap tefillin and put tons of glue. Until he finally opened it up. Oxy glue. It's called Super Sheva. Super 7. Very hard to open it up. 
He takes a hammer with a special knife, boom, 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 bang, and finally open up. He takes the parshiot and begins to check. Sometimes he walks an hour and it's not kosher. He doesn't check the rest. So instead of, let's say, three, four hours of work, he walked 20% or 25% of what he was supposed to walk. He doesn't want to take any money. I said, I don't understand. You, you open it, you walk. So fine, you didn't do a full job, but please take something. No, no, it's okay. It doesn't care. No, it's not, the last thing you care about is money. So he told me once a very interesting thing. So people come to me with all their mezuzot. When someone walks into a house of a sofer to check his mezuzot, you know there is a serious problem in their life that got them to bring the mezuzot or tefillin to check. Cancer, no kids, divorce, issues, government, FBI, IRS, major problems. Check the mezuzot. First thing you do. When they bring the mezuzot, they have one hope when they put it on the table. They have one hope that at least one will be pasul. At least one will be not kosher. If two or three, even better. Why? Mezuzah can cost money. Why you want them to be pasul? Big deal. A few hundred dollars, I buy a new one if that's the problem. But at least now I know why I'm sick. Now I know why my son is sick. This lousy mezuzah is missing a word. Get me the best one. I put it by the son's door and go back to his lousy, wicked life. So this rabbi is very clever. When they come in, he said, I have a feeling the problem that you have is not the mezuzot. I will check your mezuzot, but the question that I have is, did you check yourself first? Did you check your kashrut? Did you check your shabbat? You check your Shonara level? You check your davening, your tefillot, your prayers? You check the Shalom Bayit issues, how you behave? You check your midot? Did you check your emunah? You check your faith in Hashem? Did you check your devotion to Torah learning? Rabbi, I didn't come here for you to depress me. I only came to check my mezuzot. Why are you giving me all this list? No, I mean, I'm going to check the mezuzot. But let's say if I find one or two mezuzot are not kosher. How do you know that that's the cause of your problem? You can have other issues. How do you know it's this? Yeah, that can definitely make problems. Mezuzot, it's life and death. It's no joke. But how do you know that there's no bigger issues? For instance, how many Mechalelei Shabbat wants to speak to a Kabbalist willing to pay any amount of money? What's the purpose of this desirable meeting that they want so much? That the Kabbalist will do Hocus pocus to get rid of the evil eye that their cousins and their uncles have on them. The kishufim, Rabbi, I have kishuf on me, kishuf. How do you say kishuf in English? Black magic. Yeah. Rabbi, black magic. Ayn evil eye. 
this jealous end. Everything we buy, our eyes on that, the next day it breaks. Just got a new car. As soon as she saw it, boom, an accident. Look how dumb people can be. The person is Mechalel Shabbat, which is a death penalty. Worse than a murderer according to the Torah. And he's not worried about it. What is he worried about? That his aunt or his cousin is jealous that he got a new car. That's what he's worried about. He's worried about Ainara. Ainara. It's the least of your problem. You have life and death, thousands of sins every week. Life and death. You are guilty in death penalty sometimes 500 times in one Shabbat. In one Shabbat. You saw death penalty. You write death penalty. Turn on a, a, a light bulb, light death penalty. Cigarette, death penalty. Turn on the stove to make coffee, death penalty. Turn the car on and drive. Every time you press on the gas, no death penalty. Give me 500 Isurei Karet and death penalty in one Shabbat. That's why he's not worried about it. 50 years in Mechalel Shabbat. What is he worried about? His aunt, she's jealous. Maybe they make black magic on us. Now he's going to go to some Kabbalist. He's going to tell him, do this, do that, put some money in a jar. And he will go back to his place and stay in Mechalel Shabbat another 20 years. First thing the Torah says, you have problems before you run to the doctors. First, check yourself up. Rabbi Avraham Grodzinski, he was murdered in the Holocaust, sharing Kondamo. In his book, Torah Avraham, the Torah of Abraham, he says in the past, there used to be prophets to the Jewish nation. A person come to the prophet, and the prophet tells him what he has to fix. He sees in a vision. Today we don't have prophets. Who are the prophets of today's generation? One word. Who are the prophets of today? Who knows? Who are the prophets today? What replaced today the information we used to get from the prophets? Person came to the prophet, I have, tell me what I have to fix. You need to fix this, you need to fix this, you need to fix that in order for you to be tzaddik. Today there's nobody to ask. How do you find out what you need to fix? No? Suffering! That's the prophets of today. Suffering. You got hit by something? Check where you got hit. Money issue. Oh, I'm not clean with money. I charge interest. I steal. I lie. I trick in a business. Deceive customers. Stomach issues. Oh, red light. What do you eat? Everything that moves. Stuff into his lower. Swallow everything that moves. 
doesn't care, worms, this, that. Problems in the mouth, Lashonara, instigating, saying dirty words. Oh, there is a list of problems that you can do with your mouth. Headache, you probably don't learn Torah. The Gemara says, you have headache, immediately start learning. Immediately start learning. Rabotai, listen carefully what I'm about to tell you. The Gemara says, if a person has suffering, immediately will check himself out. What happened if he checked and he didn't find anything? Shabbat, I'm perfect. Nashonara, I don't say whoa. Tzedakah, I'm very generous. I give more than 20% of my income. Okay, it's not it. Shalom I'm the best husband in the world. Fatherhood, I'm the best father. Okay, very good. Respecting the parents, I'm almost like Esau. He was very good in Kibudori. Majesty, I watch my eyes completely. In the end, he goes and checks hundreds of things. Everything is perfect. The Gemara says, Fish, Pesh, Velo, Masa, Imwe, didn't find. What happened? It lebe bitul Torah. Okay. So the answer is if you checked every one of the 613 commandments and you found that you're perfect, now we know the answer. There is only one thing left, and that's where everyone is guilty of. What is it? Bitul Torah. You don't learn enough Torah. What do you mean? I learn 16 hours a day. Hashem expects you to learn 18. I learn 18. Hashem expects you to learn 20. It's always Bitul Torah in the end. That's what it sounds like. How can we say such thing? After the, you checked yourself out with hundreds of things and everything was perfect, the Gemara said, oh, if you didn't find anything specific, it be'avon bitun Torah. I don't get it. Which avon is the worst in the Torah? Which mitzvah is the greatest in the Torah? Limut Torah. Keneged kulam. You put all the mitzvot in one side of the scale. Learning Torah on the other side, learning Torah is greater than everything combined. Therefore, which sin is the worst compared to all the other sins? Not learning Torah. The greatest profit is learning Torah. What's the, the greatest loss? Not learning Torah. So if that's the worst thing, why you left it in the end? You should have started with that. First thing you check, do you learn enough Torah? No, barely an hour a day. Are you kidding? An hour a day, you're not embarrassed? Immediately, start six, seven hours. Let's see what's gonna be. Ah, but I have a business, I have this. Work less, but I'm gonna make less. No, that's kfirah, that's heresy. If you're gonna learn more, you're gonna think you're gonna lose parnasah? Well, you're a heretic. Hashem is going to be so happy that instead of one hour a day, you're learning six now. And his reward to you was to cut away your living. That's what you think about God. 
And you claim to be religious? What is going on here? So, first of all, Limud Torah. You work also, don't worry. A few hours a day, you make an effort. An effort. That's all you have to do. Anyway, the Parnassah is 100% from Hashem. Nothing comes from the work. The work is a cover-up. 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 I'll tell you an example. What does it mean, cover-up? 25 years ago, we had one rabbi in a yeshiva where I was learning that his father was a multi-multi-millionaire. Now his father is one of the most amazing, wealthy people I ever met in my life. Maybe the biggest. Why? He owns, with his brother together, a huge real estate company, and they have somewhere in Europe buildings. Each building have a lot of tenants that pay them rents, meaning they get a lot of money coming every month. But this guy lives in the most simple way. The house is so simple. Looks like a house of an afrech. Old. Some things are broken, ceiling and the wall. And nobody cares. He drives back, back in time, a station wagon. Such a simple car. And they sponsor 10 yeshivot in Israel. 10 yeshivot. All the expenses on him and his brother. One time, his son was a rabbi in the yeshiva where I was learning. We were very friendly, me and his son. One time his son comes to me and say to me, can you do me a favor? I want you to find out from the Rosh Yeshiva if the salary that he gives me for teaching here every month comes from my father. I have a feeling that the only reason he hired me because my father came to him behind the scene and said, please give my son a job to teach here. Don't worry about his salary. I'm going to give you his salary every month. He wants to know if he's worthy that the yeshiva hired him thanks to his skills or because it's good for the yeshiva to get a teacher for free, how bad it can be. Don't have to worry about paying him. He's going to teach the beginners, Gmarat. So what makes you think so? I know my father, that's how he does things. It's all covered up. This is why I remember this now. Parnassah, the job, the business, it's all covered up. That's not what brings the Parnassah. If a person is convinced that his money comes from his investment, from his business, from his skills, from his law degree, from his medicine degree, from his engineering degree, from being an actor, or I don't know, a talented singer, or has a great voice. If he thinks that his parnasa comes from these things, is nothing but an heretic. Almost like Santa Claus. Almost. No one is worse than him, but almost as bad. Why is it? Because you don't have it all wrong. Hashem decides on Rosh Hashanah how much every human being will make. Walking, not walking, can find a job, cannot find a job, needs to eat. How much is going to have this year? That's it. I cannot find a job. How, how much is going to make? How much is going to make? The answer is he will walk in the street and find a wallet. And find a diamond. Five carat diamond. Here you go, right there, $100,000. You know what? I went to Israel three weeks. 
Today, I send a message to someone that usually is in touch with me almost every day. From the minute I left to Israel until today, almost a month, I haven't heard a word from him. I got nervous, thought something happened to me. People usually don't disappear like that. I send him a text, are you okay? I haven't heard from you almost a month. He said to me, yes, I was on vacation, I was here and I was there, and then he said, and by the way, my company was sold and I'm out of my job. And by the way, I got hit by a car. So I have to fix the problems. I have neck problem, I have back problem, I have to fix the car. So I'm busy these days. I say, wow, Hashem Irachem, I only left you for a few weeks and look how many problems you already have. <laughs> Making a joke. He said to me, why problems? It's bracha, I'm sure it's for good. Soon I'm gonna get $100,000 from his lawsuit, from this accident. He already trained his head to think the way the Torah said to think. A few years ago, before I was there, was had the merit to make him a bad tshuva. This guy was a real gangster. See, what, what a gang I took him out. I actually met him in a place where one of his relatives got shot and killed. They asked me, can you come speak to all the gangsters at 12 o'clock at night after a Brooklyn lecture? It's gonna be late, don't worry, it's packed there. All the gangs, all the, Olam Tachton, they're all gonna be there. I went and I spoke very, very strong there, Baruch Hashem, I didn't get killed. Later on, I understood how lucky I got to come out of their life from the things I told these gangsters in their face. But that guy heard it, cut out of the gang, got rid of them, and started to keep mitzvot. And what happened? Hashem got him a nice girl, religious, and religious kids, got to yeshivot. So you already think, after hearing thousands of hours of lecture, you already think like the, the Jewish Ashkafa. Said to me, anyway, the living doesn't come from the job. I asked him, but the new owner that bought your company, why would he fire you? Doesn't he need employees? He said, no, we were bought by the competition to eliminate the competition. They closed the business. It's better for me to buy you out and kill the business. Why? I don't need competition. That's also, by the way, heresy. To buy the competition and eliminate them. It's heresy. Why? The business is not the cause of the, of the income. The Satan designed it like that. For all the ignorant people that doesn't learn Torah to think that if I will get rid of my competition, I will have more money. You can eliminate the competition, much more money comes to the business, and then chas shalom, you have an accident, and you have to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars to doctors and specialists. Or your health insurance just got canceled without you knowing, three days before the accident, and now every day in the hospital will cost you thousands of dollars to take away home. You eliminate the competition, you made extra 300,000 this year, and the next year, in one shot, Hashem took away everything you made extra. Why? Because he never wrote to you in Rosh Hashanah that you should make more than what he wrote. That's it. So it's all baloney. All the tricks that people cheat the government and stealing and doing this and doing that. It's all, all stupidity.
lack of emuna and pure stupidity and ignorance. So Abotai, back to the question. If Bitul Torah is the worst sin, when a person has a problem in life, what is the first thing he has to check? From the worst sin or the smallest sin? When you start making a list of your problems, you start with your biggest problem first to eliminate or the small problem to eliminate? A person has a heart condition. He's worried that his nose has a little bump right now. You're 80 years old, you're about to die. What do you worry about? No job now. First, make sure you're alive. After you fix your heart and you'll be able to leave, now, after the bypass surgery will succeed, worry about how your nose may look or not look. Imagine someone is about to die any minute, his heart is not functioning, and he goes to the plastic surgeon, I don't like, I have a little bit too much fat over here. Can you do a liposuction? The doctor said to him, excuse me, you barely breathe. You walk one flight up, you're about to die. I think you should go to emergency room first before you talk to me about a plastic issue. You get the point or no? So when you make a list of what can cause me the disease, what can cause me this accident, what can cause me this financial issue, do I start with the worst problem or with the smallest? Of course with the worst one. So the Gemara should have said, if you have problems, check yourself up. What's the first thing you check if you learn enough Torah? If yes, move on to the next thing, which is smaller. Check Shabbat now. You're perfect on Shabbat. Check honesty. Check modesty. But first thing, Bitul Torah. That's the way it should have been. Why Bitul Torah is in the end? You hear the question or no? The answer is Rabotai. <laughs> If a person checked everything in his life and did not find himself guilty even in one thing, it bitul Torah. The reason is because he doesn't learn Torah. Because if you would learn Torah, he will never ever think that he's righteous. Now one big Talmud Chacham ever thought that is perfectly righteous. He would come to Rav Ben-Zion, Abba Shaul, see him half paralyzed, suffering tremendous pain, mourning like this from his problem. He stood and asked him, oh, Kvod Arav, what happened? He said, oh, I have this pain, I have that pain, oh, wow, this, that. He said to him, Mimaze, what is it from? He said, what kind of a question is this? From my sins, what is it from? Ma'avonot! He believed 100%. Connecting to a lie detector. What do you think caused you all this pain and being paralyzed and all this? He would say, my sins. And the machine would show him. 100% believe he's a sinner. And no one was more perfect than him. No one. Gave his life for the Torah. Perfect midot. Thousands of students. As a giant. One of the holiest people ever lived. And how did he feel? Wow, I'm so guilty. I could have done more. I could have done here more. I could have done there more. I'm not saying that you should live all your life with fear. 
anxiety, panic, maybe I'm this, maybe I'm that, maybe I'm not, no, that's also not good. OCD, not good, not good. Sometimes that's the advice of the Yetzirah. The Satan sometimes wants you to make, want you to become too righteous quickly in order for you to collapse. And that's what King Solomon wrote, don't exaggerate. Be righteous, but don't exaggerate. What do you mean, don't exaggerate? You cannot be more righteous than Hashem. You cannot be. You do your maximum you can. You can live like this with fear, fearing in a house, shaking all day. Ooh, maybe by mistake I did this and did that. You're not going to have a life. You cannot get married like that. You cannot have children like that. Your children will be all messed up. It's called OCD in English. There are people like this. I know one guy goes 300 times to the mikveh. Go in, come out, start to dry himself. I didn't do perfect fila. Go back in. Go out, in, out, all day. One day sister called me. Hi, we have no life. I'm crying. Wow, he has this mental disorder, OCD. No matter what he does, he feels it's not good enough. I sometimes see people like this in the synagogue. They want to say Shema Israel 20 times. Shema, 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 Shema. 20 times, Shema. No, maybe it didn't come out perfect with the eye. Ah, Shema. Mentally sick. Mentally sick. Repeat the same sentence again and again. Maybe it will be better next time. That's a problem in the head. Short in the brain. You cannot function, you don't do anything, you lock yourself in the house. What is going on with you? You will destroy your life like this. But as mitzvah to fear God, it is mitzvah to fear God. But we have also another side to the coin. We have always the option of tshuva. We can count on repentance. We messed up, we will repent, repent in mincha. We messed up at night. We'll repent and shachrit. We messed up the year. We'll have a lul. We'll clean it out. The main thing is that Hashem knows that we have Yirat Shammai. But we don't want to commit sins. It's not light in our eyes. When we mess up, we actually, it breaks our heart. And that's it. Hashem doesn't expect us now to roll on the ice and to burn ourselves and to be sadistic and masochistic and all this nonsense. That's not the way of the Torah. So Rabbutai, pishpesh velo matzah. You checked your Shabbat, you're perfect, huh? You amaharetz, you ignorant fool. You know how many thousands of laws you have on Shabbat? You didn't find one of them you incorrect with? Everything is perfect? Well, you, be, you became Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai? I'm perfect in Shabbat. I'm perfect in modesty. I'm perfect in staka. I'm perfect in everything I do. I'm perfect. I'm perfect in my prayers. I'm perfect in my watching my eyes. I'm perfect with Lashon Hara. You're perfect, huh? If someone said to you, like they do in Israel, you can sign a personal guarantee that he's a Rasha. 
someone that say, Ani Tzadik, I ask a boy today for the lecture, are you the best student in your class? He is, but I didn't want to say yes. I get some candy from the Rebbe, you know. He's hinting that the Rebbe gives candy to those who do better or other gifts. He didn't some other kids, of course I am. No one is like me. I'm the best. A cultured person knows from a very young age, do not break. You know, I've been seeing Abba Shaul until he was 60 years old, the world didn't know who he is. You know how he was discovered? He was sitting by an Ashkenazi shul. Two Ashkenazim were learning, arguing about some subject. Very complicated. They knew that he's there every day. So they asked him, what's your opinion? He looked at what they asked about, and he told them everything from A to Z. They were shocked. They rolled it down. They went to Rav Eliashiv. He's the biggest chacham in the world, Rav Eliashiv at that time. In his 90s he was. No, in his 80s maybe back then. Story. Well, let's think. Rabbi Zion should have been in his 90s today. So this story was 30 years ago. 30 years ago. So Rabbi Yashif today should have been 110, so he was 80, 80 years old. Rabbi Yashif at that time. These two Ashkenazim came to Rabbi Yashif with the, with the, they wrote everything down. He said, Rabbi, we have this question. He said this, I said that. We asked a Sfaradi man in the shul. Some Avrech. We asked him, where are you from? He said, I'm Avrech Peporat Yosef. He was a Rosh Yeshiva. We didn't say I'm Rosh Yeshiva. He said, I'm Avrech. I'm just learning in Yeshiva. They showed it to Rav Eliashim. Rav Eliashim said, that's not an Avrech. That's Gdol Olam. That's someone that is a giant in the whole world. Bring him to me. And the rumor started to spread. Could have been very, very much that the only few thousand people that would know him in the world were the students that he had over the few decades that he taught. You know, my cousin was his student, one of his main students. He told me, did you hear the name Sasson Shabbat? I said, no. He said, you know what Sasson Shabbat? Let me give you a book. Read it on your way back from Israel. I said, who was Sasson Shabbat? He said, from all the few thousand students I've been seeing on Abba Shaul he was the biggest out of everyone. He was the only one that understood Rav Ben Zion Abba Shaul almost 100%. Everybody else, you're talking about giant Chachamim, maximum understood 20% of what he taught. Sasson Shabbat understood everything. It was unbelievable. It was a Baal Shuvah, Sasson Shabbat. At young age, he became Baal Shuvah. He said, the only reason that Rabbi Zion was giving the shiur was for Sasson. You can hear on the tape that he asked, Sasson, can we move forward? It's me and you. If they learn or not, Baruch Hashem, it's me and you. We are, we are the Chavruta here. He understood everything. 
Who know about Sanson Shabbat? Not even 500 people in my opinion. Only the people that were in the shiur know about it. Why nobody knew about it? Because he made sure that no one will find out who he is. If you wanted to be famous, in one week he would be one of the top rabbis in the world. Everything I've been seeing he inherited from him. But their idea was to hide themselves. Same thing like my cousin said, don't send me anyone. Nobody. One time I sent him a camera from one person that had the Torah Anytime camera in Jerusalem. Why? Because I found out he gives a shiur about Musa, about from the Gaon Mivina mixed with Kabbalah. The guy came there with a the camera. The guy called me up and said, he doesn't let me feel. I asked him, why don't let him feel? So I don't want... I don't want to become famous. If people would start hearing me, then I'm going to start becoming famous. Then what do you think would happen? More and more people will come to me to cry about the problems, help me with this, give me that, give me blessing. I won't be able to learn Torah. I see what happened to other big chachamim. Every five minutes, someone else comes, Rabbi, can I talk to you? I have a big problem. Why are you going to tell me? No. Look at Rafael Kanievsky. Three, four hundred people every day would stand online to go into his place. He had to spend hours of time, hours of his day, to talk to all these miserable people. And most of the people that came was really just for the sake of speaking to him and get a blessing. Most people, Hashem, didn't have a problem. They would stand two, three hours online just to go for the one minute picture. That's it. For that, they waste the time of the Chacham. Same thing with Avovania. Other Chachamim that were able to hide themselves were able to focus on Torah and stay holy without interfering with the world, without knowing politics, without all of that. This is for us a lesson, a lesson for us. The Chafetz Chaim writes, we're talking about the first, first halacha in Parashat Mishpatim, about Eved Ivri. The Chafetz Chaim writes, first thing comes from our Sinai, after you finish the Ten Commandments, a Hebrew slave, Vechitikne Eved Ivri, person that stole, he was sold to be a slave. And now his master can give him to Shifchak Na'anit. Ima donavi ten lo isha, if his master will give him a more female. Aisha ve'iladea t'yela adonea v'uetzebeka po. The woman and the kids will remain slaves. And when this, once he's finished his sixth year, he will be released alone. The Torah told us that for the money he stole, and he didn't have enough to pay back, he will be sold to be a slave. And then his master will be able to marry him to a non-Jewish slave. And will have kids that will not follow him. His genealogy. When you marry a non-Jewish female, it's a sin from the Torah. When you marry a non-Jewish female, it's a sin from the Torah. What's the sin? Ve'lo ye kadesh 
מבני ישראל. וואטקדש. נזכור את זה, לא תהיה קדשה בבנות ישראל. קדשה, come from the word קדוש. The Torah wants to say that I should not be a Jewish woman, act like a prostitute, or a male prostitute, male prostitute or female prostitute, without marriage. The Torah doesn't want to use a dirty word, so the Torah used the opposite word. It's common, in common in the Torah, to speak in a clean language. Like for instance, the Torah doesn't want to say impure, so, so the Torah does not want to say impure, So impure means tameh. The Torah doesn't want to use the word tameh, so the Torah would say lo taor, and lo taor, not pure. But it doesn't say the word tameh. Why? To, to use a clean language. It's called saginaor. Saginaor, that's the expression in the Gemara. Lashon saginaor. Like you want to care someone uh, that is, uh, is important. You don't want to say that it's on him. So you say, we'll go on, a, on ahead of Hitler. But the person understands who you're talking about. You don't want to actually, okay, so in the, the point is, you want to say that the Jewish woman should not allow anyone to touch her unless he's going to be her husband. So Torah doesn't want to use a dirty word, so the Torah says, lo tiek And you understand what the Torah talks about. Same thing amen. A man over here is going to go with his Goya. It's against the Torah. It's a very big sin. Chafetz Chaim says, Do the Ranami 23 verse 18. So, for the stealing, he violates one restriction from the Torah that it's called Lotignovu. Leviticus 19 verse 11. Lotignovu, it's money. Lot Ignov in the Ten Commandments is you should not kidnap. I want to ask you a question. The Torah says if a person after six years says, I don't want to go free. I want to stay slave. I love my master. I don't want to be free. You take him to the door. There is a mezuzah there. You have a special tool, you burn his ear, you make a mark, and he remains a slave forever. The Gemara asks, why you have to burn his, uh, his, his ear? Why not his hand, not why his nose, why his mouth, lips? Why you have to burn his ear? The answer, the ear that did not listen to the words of Hashem in Mount Sinai that say you should not steal and this guy went and stole and now he became a slave. We have a problem with this statement. The Ten Commandments that say you should not steal does not talk about steal money. It talks about kidnapping a person. How do we know it? How do we know that when it says in the Ten Commandments, Lot Ignov, doesn't talk about money? Because in Leviticus, it's already said, Lot Ignovu. So why? The Torah sometimes repeats the same thing a few times. Lot Evashel Gdi Bechalev Imo, you have three times in the Torah. Three times. Each time it means something else. One time it means you cannot cook dairy and meat together. Even for Goy, you're not allowed to cook. 
even it's not for Jew, for Goy. You want to make a cheeseburger for Goy, you're not allowed. The Jew is not allowed to put them together and, and eat them together. If he did it, then one more time it appears in the Torah that you're not allowed to benefit from it. Meaning, oh, I made a mistake. I, made extra, I, I actually mixed meat and cheese without realizing. Now I cannot eat it, so I want to sell it to a Goy. The meat cost me $30. And the mozzarella cheese costs me another $10. Chabad to throw $40 to the garbage. I will sell it to Tony, my neighbor. Not allowed. You have to destroy it. Once you cook meat and cheese together, or milk, not allowed. You can't even give it to the dog, because it gives you benefit. Your dog eats and saves you money. So the third time is that you should not eat it yourself. So one time you shouldn't eat it. Second time, you should not cook it for anyone. And third time, if by mistake you cooked it, you're not allowed to benefit from it. Three times. So you see, it's written in the Torah three times. Maybe Lot Ugnovu also talks about money, and one time for one reason, and one time for another reason. How the Gemara knows that he talks about kidnapping? Huh? Very good. It comes next to commandments that speaks about death penalty. Shabbat, death penalty. Murder, death penalty. In the Ten Commandments, he wouldn't put subject of stealing money. Because when you're stealing money, all you have to do is to pay double and you're done. You're dismissed. It's not death penalty. So once you write, do not worship idols, it's death penalty. And right next to it, you should not break Shabbat. And right next to it, you should not kill. All of a sudden, you should not steal. That doesn't belong there. It's against the rules. So that's talking about kidnapping a person, which is also death penalty. Especially when in another place in the Torah, it speaks about stealing money. If that's the case, what does the Gemara answer? The ear that didn't hear in Mount Sinai, you should not steal, should be burned now because he became a slave, because he's a thief. It's not relevant. He didn't kidnap anyone, stole money. That's in a different part of the Torah. The answer first, remember what I said that the entire Parashat Mishpatim was read in Mount Sinai, not only the Ten Commandments. So he did speak about you should not steal. Okay, good. Second, what is the first commandment? I am the God that took you out of Egypt and released you from slavery, right? Meaning, you are my servant from now on, not the Egyptian servant. After I told you the only one you're allowed to serve is me, and you choose to serve a human being for life, that's a disgrace. So if you hear ears and doesn't obey what it listens to, make a mark on the ear. Now we understand, Rabotai. One thing I don't understand, one thing I don't understand, maybe you can help me out. I didn't have time to look into it. I have a big question on this Hafez I wrote you Chafetz Chaim. Chafetz Chaim, he lived a hundred years ago. 
one of the most righteous people ever lived. And a huge Talmud Chacham. All the Mishnah Brura on Shulchan Aruch is the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim, according to him, you married a Jewish servant to a non-Jewish woman. But everybody knows that when you buy a non-Jewish servant from the market, first thing you do is you convert her. Same thing the male. All the avadim knaaniim and all the shfachot knaaniot, you convert to Judaism. If you convert them, and you give the, the female, the shifcha knaani to the Jewish male, she is a convert. She's a Jew. And the kids are Jewish. It's one thing the Torah say clearly that these kids will remain by the master. Okay. It's not a katuv. This is what Hashem say. But why the Chafetz Chaim wrote that you give him permission to marry a Goya and it's a violation of Lo Yekadesh Bebnei Israel? I don't understand that. Is she a Goya or she's a convert? If she's a convert, she's not a Goya. Please, if you have an answer, write to me. Rabbi Mizrahi at gmail.com. Time ran out. We have three, four minutes left. Let's just do one more thing and we finish here. It's written in the parasha, Midvar Sheker Tirchak. Stay away from any kinds of form of lies. Venakivet Sadiq Al Tarog. Do not spill the blood of a righteous and a clean person. Kiloat Zdik Rasha. I will not justify the wicked. Looks like there's no connection between the different parts of the sentence. Simply, this is what it says. You're not allowed to lie. And you're not allowed to murder a righteous person. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu will not justify the wicked. How is it related? First question is, are you allowed to murder the wicked? Also not allowed. You're not allowed to murder a wicked person. If you see someone is Mechalel Shabbat or gay, according to the Torah, he deserves to get a death penalty. But if you go and kill him, you are a murderer. You will be executed. Why? He deserves to die. It's Mechalel Shabbat. The Torah says. But you are not a judge in a Sanhedrin. He can only be executed after a trial. Witnesses, you have to check. Maybe he doesn't know, maybe he was born in Siberia, he never heard in his life, maybe he didn't get a warning, maybe what he did was not a, according to the way the Al-Chai is, he did it differently. There could be hundreds of different things. You know, not just come and kill a person. And even if you know one million percent that he did it the way that the Torah spoke about and he deserved to die, you are not liable to be an executor. There's no Sanhedrin for 2,000 years. There's no executions. You're not allowed to execute today. No bad thing today in the world can execute a person. If a bad thing have testimony that these two men are gays, they live together. They're not hiding it. They admit. 
People actually saw them in the middle of a scene. It's that penalty according to the Torah. Who will kill them? God. When he decides to. They may not be in this world. They will be maybe in the next world. But he is the only one who can execute them. If someone came and killed them in the middle, he is a murderer. He may come and try to justify his thing that he's a zealous, zealous man. He cannot tolerate abomination. He cannot stand such people and won't help him. He won't help him. Why? We are not allowed to execute today. We don't execute any violator of any law of the Torah that the Torah says that he deserved or she deserved to get a death penalty. No executions today. So the Gemara say, once the, this, the, better, the temple was destroyed and there's no more Sanhedrin and there is no more tries and there's no more execution, who does the execution? Only Hashem. When he decides. Someone that deserves to be stoned fall from a building. We come and he fall. Someone supposed to be burned can be killed by lightning or by a fire, get caught in a fire and die. Someone supposed to be choked can drown or can choke from gas or smoke. Someone that's supposed to be killed by a sword can be killed by a sword or can be killed by a gunshot today or pieces of an explosion or, or glass went into his body and made holes, stabbed. There's all kinds of swords that people, it doesn't have to be literally sword. It can be a piece from a bomb flew, a piece of sharp plastic right into his neck and killed him. There can be many ways. A gunshot from far away. But only Hashem does executions. If you see Mechalel Shabbat, 90 years old, didn't get an execution, you should feel extra bad for him. If his friend died at 16, stoning, fell from a building, or he got hit by a car, then this person that is continued to be Mechalel Shabbat 30 more years, they have to feel more sorry for him. He can say, ah, you see, he lived to 90 even though he wasn't Shomer Shabbos. <laughs> The last one you want to be jealous with is this guy, that he lived long life. Now he has to pay for that long life, 30 more years of sins. First thing he will scream in his trial, why did you make me live such long life? Keeping such a wicked person alive for so long, it's actually a punishment for him. What does he do, this old man? Playing golf? Smoking cigar, watching TV, cursing his family members all day. Does he pray? Does he learn Torah? No. Does he put filin? No. Does he eat kosher? No. Does he make brachot? No. So what does he live for? His life here is already a punishment. He's not benefiting anyone. He's hurting people. He's a liability to his family members. And on top of everything, is accumulating more sins that he will be judged for. So the longer he lives, the worse it is for him. It's a punishment, it's not a, it's not a gift like some people think. Well, my father, Baruch Hashem, lived long life. If he was a righteous man, it's fantastic that he lived long life. If he was a wicked liberal, Bernie Sanders, Hashem keeps him alive. Every day that he lives, he gains millions or maybe billions of new sins. There's a reason why I should keep him alive. That's the worst punishment for someone like that to live. 
אז זה טריילר, בטרייד איז ניישן. חילול השם ידע, או חילול השם, you know what גהנום is waiting for him. So every day that he's alive, his punishment multiply and triple and... Some people say, wow, when are we going to get rid of this trainer? Sometimes someone hit you bad in life, stole from you, caused you a big damage, did horrible things to you, maybe destroyed your marriage, I don't know. People do bad things to each other. And it kills you to see that they celebrate for 20, 30 years like nothing happened. Shem didn't touch them. They become wealthier. They're healthy, they have children, they moved into a bigger home, they opened another store. It bothers you very much. You see them walking around with all their wealth, an expensive car, an expensive watch. Every time you see them, it burns you out. That's heresy. We are all heretics. If you really had a Munayin Hashem, you should have been happy that he's alive. The longer he lives, the better it is. Someone like this only dig his hell deeper by the minute. Better that he should stay long. Sometimes Hashem decides to take his olam above from him for what he did to you. But let's say he was 60 years old when he committed this crime against you. But he had a lot of merit until that time. Maybe he was keeping Shabbat. Maybe he was giving charity. Maybe he did a lot of good things. Maybe he told the culture. Wicked people sometimes do great things. In order for Hashem to wipe out his next wall, he has to pay him now for all the good deeds that he kept in his life that so far he wasn't paid for. The plan was to pay him in the next wall. But once Hashem decided on Rosh Hashanah after what he did to you to take away his Olam now the entire plan is changing. I was reserving your reward for the eternal world. Now I decided to take away your eternal world. So I have to pay you for six years of mitzvot, from your bar mitzvah until now. Mansions, business, fame, children, marries children to good shiduchim. You in the meantime, Eat your heart. Why? Because you're an heretic. You have no emunah in Hashem. You think you know better than Hashem who deserve to get what? If you really eliminated your ego and you think that you're somebody important and you understand what's going on in the world and you would understand you don't understand anything but the rules are solid. Righteous get good, wicked get bad. It's end of story. Doesn't matter what I see right now. Doesn't matter what I see until the day I die. Doesn't matter. Righteous will get good and wicked will get bad. And it's never going to be changed. One of the 13 principles of the Torah. Because you don't have patience, because you don't have emunah, it burns your heart to see your enemy continue to celebrate. It was promoted. You see him on the news, kills you. Same thing women who got raped. They see the rapist became the president of the United States, maybe. Or maybe the head of the Supreme uh, or the, the Justice Department. It drives them crazy. What kind of a justice this world have? Where is this God? Or when they hear that some Nazi murderers escaped to Argentina 
and live there in a fake identity until their 90s with wealth and success and servants with the pool it drives them crazy why because they are all heretics you are a kofer in the torah you kofer in the thirteen principle of the torah if you had blind faith in hashem you would know it's the best thing that happened did nazi also had some good things he did in his life since hashem is going to make him suffer for eternity that Nazi would say, you're not a fair judge, you're not a fair judge. I mean, I did horrible things. I definitely deserve to get, over there everyone admits, everyone knows what they deserve to get. But the Nazis would also say, until I became an SS general, do you know how many wonderful things I did? I took care of an orphan, I helped this poor guy, I did this, I helped my children, I helped my ex-wife, I helped uh, some widow, I saved someone's life. When did you pay me for all of that? I let you escape to Argentina and live 30 years in a beautiful view over there, or in a nice farm. Nobody ever found out where you are. You live to your 90s. Nobody, nobody touched you for what you have done in the Holocaust. Now when he dies, the, his problems begin. The problem with the victims of this monster, they want to see in their own eyes the justice, right now. Why? Because they don't believe that they will see it in the next world. If they knew the principle of the Torah, they would be very, very calm. Smile. I wish him to live longer. The longer he lives, the better it will be. You get the point or no? Yes. If you, uh, <laughs> if you adopt some of the things I say here tonight, change your entire life. How many religious people live by these standards? How many? Very few. Very few. One person came to the Chazoni, she said it's not fair. The guy opening a supermarket across the street from me is going to finish me. You know how many years I put into this supermarket? Half of the customers will go, it's probably going to be nicer than mine. Newer, cleaner, bigger. I can't compete with him. The Chazoni said, why don't you go and help him? Ask him if he needs help. Maybe he needs names of suppliers. Rabbi, I'm coming to cry to you for my future, the future of my children. You tell me why I don't go and help the competitor? I came here to ask you to tell him to close his business or to move it to the other side of town. You tell me to go help him to open across the street? Chazoni say yes. You're a believer in Hashem or no? Yeah. You think the parnasa come from your lousy supermarket? You're an heretic. Parnasa come from Hashem regardless of the supermarket. Maybe Hashem wants to move you out of the neighborhood and get you something ten times bigger. What do you worry about? Go and help him. Why? You show Hashem that you understand that parnasa come from him, not from the efforts, not from the hard work in the supermarket selling meat and selling cheese and selling olives. That's not how you make your living. How many big tzaddikim learn Torah all their life? Melechet tzaddikim, naset bidacherim. All the work of the righteous people are done by others. By others. 
You see it all the time. I'm in this world, so I see it all the time. I see Tzadikim, you bring them envelopes full of cash to pray for someone, they refuse to take it. They don't want. I have enough what I need, that's it. I don't want, I don't want. So let's just finish this. So Rabotai, we have to understand what this Pasuk talks about when we finish right here. Amar Avkana, Sanhedrin, 23 judges sitting in a court, and all of them found the, the defendant guilty. All 23 say he's guilty of Chilun Shabbat. We have to execute him. What's the verdict? You set him free. It has to be a conspiracy. It cannot be all 23 judges found him guilty. If one or two found him innocent, then you kill him. It's 22 against one or 21 against two. Okay, makes sense. Now one judge found any favor in him? No doubt. Has to be a conspiracy. That's what the Torah says. If all 23 found him guilty, it's a problem. Now let, let me describe to you a scenario. You are judging a Sanhedrin. You are number 23. They go by the order. First one, guilty. Second, guilty. Third, guilty, guilty, guilty. All 22 say guilty. And you also know he's guilty. That's your opinion based on the evidence. But if you're going to say guilty, you're going to set this monster back to the street. So what do you say? Not guilty. Why? I want him dead. I don't want this monster uh, serial killer back on the street. We saw enough evidence that he's guilty. No doubt whatsoever that he's guilty. But I have to say not guilty in order for, him, for me to get rid of him. If I would say my opinion guilty, <laughs> he's going to just get a free pass, get out of jail free. That's what the Torah talks about. You're not allowed to lie. You're not allowed. You have to say guilty. Ah, you're going to send him back in the street, leave him to me. It's not your problem. Everyone gets what they deserve in the end. So listen, Rabotai. Sanhedrin found, all of them found him guilty, you dismissed him. He has to go free. So now we understand the verse. The Sanhedrin sits over there. The last judge says, I know he's a murderer. How can I set him free? Let me say not guilty. Stay away from lies. I never allowed to lie like this. Altomar Sheker, do not say lie. That's how the Pasuk say. Mitvar Sheker Tirchan. Not even a lie like this. That Venaki Vetzadik Al Tarog. What does it mean, Venaki Vetzadik? You want to kill now the wicked. And you want to kill the naked. So what are you going to say? That is Naki. That's it, Tzadik. It's not guilty. I don't allow you. Why? Why you say that he's a tzaddik? Because you want to kill him. I don't allow you to kill him by saying that he's a tzaddik. Say that he's wicked. But he's going to go free. Leave him to me. 
כי לא אצדיק רשע. I will not let him survive, don't worry. I know that you wanted to say not guilty, but you overcame your desire to say not guilty because you wanted him dead. Your mind overcome your, brain, your heart. Your heart says say not guilty that you should get executed. But your mind said the Torah said oh, not to lie. I have to stick to my mind, not to my heart. Because you did what I told you to do against your real desire, I will execute him. Don't worry. Count on me. Why? Because really, really, the right thing was to find him uh, guilty and to kill him. Because everyone found him guilty, now you have to set him free. Leave him to me. It's unbelievable. I think every judge in the world, if the, if the law of the land here in America or in Israel would be like that, 23 judges, if all of them find him guilty and set him free, at least one or two of them would lie. So it's, it's innocent because of the doubt. They also have to justify why they say innocent. You cannot just say innocent when you saw 500 evidence. How are you going to say not guilty, you know? So many witnesses and pictures and this and that. It's so obvious that he's guilty. But the idea is, the idea is, Rabotai, is that you have to also count on Hashem that in the end he does justice in the world. And I will finish with one story. One time there was a murderer in a court and after the trial is almost finished, it's very obvious that he's going to be convicted. Then his lawyer pulled out the trick of the history. He said to the judge, your majesty, I would like to tell you to give us 10 minutes before you finalize the arguments here. And now it's, now it's 1 p.m. By 1.10 p.m., the real murderer will walk into the courtroom and confess for the crime. And just say, what? After a year of trial, that's what you're telling me? So yes. All of you, all the jury, it's obvious that they're about to convict an innocent man, my client. To send someone innocent to get a little injection. In 10 minutes, you're going to see what a horrible mistake you are about to make. I need 10 minutes, judge. We, had, we spend an, a year over here. Give us 10 more minutes. I'd say, okay, 10 minutes break. Everyone in a courtroom, the journalists, the reporters, everybody looks at the door. 10, 10 108, 108, 109, 110. Nobody walks in. 111, the judge looks at the lawyer. What did you came to play games here? Think I have all day for, to waste on your nonsense? The lawyer said to the judge, no, it's no nonsense. I just proved to you that my client is innocent. The law of the land is that you have to convict only someone that is guilty beyond reasonable doubt. All of you have a big doubt, not just reasonable doubt. The fact that you stood 10 minutes and look at the door, and it means you believe that a different person will walk in and he is the murderer. 
That means you're absolutely not sure that my client is the real murderer, but yet you're about to send him to death. It's against the law, what you're about to do. Wow, everyone was shocked. Yo, what a brilliant move. The judge say, quiet, jury, into my room. Now they have to reach a verdict. Half an hour, they came out. How did you find the defendant? They say guilty. Guilty. The, the lawyer said, how can it be? I just proved to you that there's a reasonable doubt. Can you explain how you found him guilty? So one woman over there in the jury say, I convinced everyone that he's guilty. They were all about to dismiss the trial, find him innocent. But I convinced each one of them that he's guilty. How did you do that? When everyone looked at the door, I did not look at the door. I looked at the defendant. He did not look at the door, not even one time. He was sitting like this. If you would look at the door for 10 minutes, waiting for the real murderer to come in, I would be convinced that he's innocent. The fact that he did not look at the door one time is because he knows he's the murderer. <laughs> one smart woman in a Jew. I'm about to send the murderer back to the street. And they found him guilty and gave him what he deserved. See? One tiny thing messed up his entire verdict. If he would pretend and look, wow, where is he? Where is the real murderer? Why is he not coming? That would create a, a reasonable doubt. Bezrat Hashem will continue. There's a lot more interesting stuff tomorrow in Brooklyn. I just want to make one announcement. Before I went to Israel, a few people ordered filling from me. The problem is that water spilled on my phone and the phone died. And when you do a backup, it doesn't give you back all the WhatsApp messages and all the notes. Some of them came back, some of them didn't come back. Even though it's, it's backing up every day, don't count on these backups. So I don't know who ordered feeling for me. I have the feeling, but I don't know the names, telephone number, I lost all of that. So those who already ordered filling, some paid, some sent the money with sales, some didn't pay. Just please contact me. The way you contact me until now, just tell me, you know, that I should know where to deliver that filling. <laughs> Otherwise, I have no idea who this filling belongs to. It was a month ago before I went, and it all got wiped out. Names, telephone number. So hopefully, Bezrat Hashem, We'll be able to, I also brought uh, two Megillot Esther, Purim is coming. It's half the price than what you buy it in a store, it's a perfect Megillah, it looks like a print. You open a homage, print, that's how it looks, the, the highest level. It's mitzvah to read the Megillah Esther out of the Megillah, when you read it from a regular printed book, if you missed a word of what the Baal Kore said, you're not, you did not fulfill your obligation to hear Megillah. One word you missed, that's it. But if you have a kosher Megillah on a real parchment, you can read it yourself. Oh, I just lost my mind for, for a few seconds. You can go one line behind and read it from the cloth 
and continue to hear it from him. Very, today, in today's generation, many people cannot concentrate. They cannot concentrate more than half an hour when they read the Megillah. They think about business. This, all of a sudden, he thinks, wow, for 30 seconds I wasn't listening. My head was somewhere else. Almost no one is Yotzeli Dechova, almost. Unless they mamash follow word by word and think what he said, which is in our days, it's a disaster. You know, according to Halakha, if someone did not have full intention in Ekfilat Shmona from the minute he said Hashem Sfatai Tiftah, until Baruch Atah Hashem Ha'ela Kadosh, if he did not think about the meaning of every word, you have to repeat the whole Shmona Why today we don't do it? Because in the second time, we also won't have full intention. And in the third time, in the fourth time, no matter how many times we'll repeat it, at least few words from this one page, we won't have concentration. That's how bad we are today. Back in time, people had focus. They didn't have all these devices, all this nonsense, Facebook, TikTok, all the garbage on the street. So people's mind was very sharp. People were able to memorize full books, word by word. Today, they don't know two telephone numbers. When, the, when my telephone just got, you know, got, got uh, wet, Benji was waiting for me in JFK outside. I didn't even know his number. I know him for so many years. We deal with lectures and other things. I had to get his number for my wife's phone. Good thing I remember her number. That was also very hard for me. I mean, I, I know I always press the button. Please make sure, and this is a good, good advice, do not count on the backup of your phones. Trust me. You don't want to find out. It can, you can lose all your passwords. You can lose your bank information. You can lose notes. You can lose list things to do, important documents, pictures. Back up your phone manually. Don't count on the Google backup or the WhatsApp backup. It's not good. Thousands of my pictures are missing, documents, this. It didn't, it didn't send them back. It said 80%, 20% are missing. I don't know how the computer worked. I had a list of five, five pages of full different Torah. All of them are gone. If I'm not going to be able to turn the phone on, there's no way to get it. It doesn't restore. You go into the app, you put your email, you ask it to restore, so there's nothing to restore. There's 100 pages there. It doesn't restore. Why? Go and count on the machine. Restore it yourself. Write down important telephone numbers in places. Believe me, one day, especially all your credit card telephone numbers. Somebody steal your phone with your wallet, with your credit cards, who are you going to call to cancel? By the time you realize the telephone numbers to call and what is your credit card number to identify yourself, they're going to charge then $20,000. So you have to learn from this. We count on our phone and that could be the destruction of our life if you lose your phone. Mamash, you got to be very careful. Here, now I don't know who the people that order that fill in. If they won't contact me, it's Two, at least two of them paid me for that feeling. I won't know where to find it. I'll have to wait, who knows, until they remember that they ordered feeling. Sometimes people order and forget. Usually I'm very organized. I write names, telephone numbers, the date. 
who paid, who didn't pay, everything I write. But that's the problem. You count on your phone, in one second everything can be wiped out. ברוך אדוני לעולם, אמן ואמן. רבי חנניה בן הקשיא אומר, רצה הקדוש ברוך הוא לזכות.